Father, we pray that you will give us a, a clearer vision of the cross. You will give us minds and hearts that are open to see and to hear. We ask this through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned last week, uh, talked a little bit last week about uh, Michelangelo's famous statue of Pieta, this uh, amazing work of art. As I was reading uh, Ken Geyer's book, Shaped by the Cross, that his meditations uh, based on his observations and study of this this, uh, sculpture, he tells about uh, the incident that happened in Pentecost Sunday of 1972. When a, a man jumped over the railing of the display and began smashing this with a hammer and yelling out, I am Jesus Christ, I am Jesus Christ. By the time they subdued him, he had, uh, he had hit the statue 15 times, uh, smashing Mary's face and breaking off her nose and chipping an eyelash and, and severing her arm at the, the left elbow. The church uh, found the best artists they could, and uh, they commissioned them to fix it. And it took them ten months to do that, but they were able to restore it. And as as Geyer shares this story, he makes a, an interesting observation. He says, as as he's pondered that, he's come to the conclusion that uh, this madman who tried to smash this statue, this sculpture, really is a uh, in many ways, a visual image of Satan, whose purpose for existence is to destroy. He destroys people, he destroys creation, he destroys everything that is valuable and important to God, which would be everything in this world. His goal, his purpose, his, his desire is to destroy And it doesn't take much thinking at all to see that he's done a pretty good job. We we see the effects of evil all over the place. Once again this week, another terrorist attack. More violence, more bombings, uh, more shootings, uh, more more people being taken advantage of. We see it all over the place. We see the, not just the residue, but the, the actual acts of evil in our world. And it feels overwhelming. And we feel, we feel hopeless. And quite frankly, we feel helpless to do anything about it. But it's not just about the stuff that's going on out there. It's, it's also what goes on in here. We know all too well... The pain of people's words, the pain of betrayal, the pain of of life turning on us, heartache, grief. We we see the effects of, of it within us 
continually and we live with it and we wrestle with it. But it's not even just that because it's not just what happens to us. Let's be honest, it's what we do as well. And sometimes we're the people speaking those hurtful words. Sometimes we're the people doing things that make people feel betrayed. We know all too well our sinful nature. We know things that other people don't know and we try to keep it from them, but we know. We go to bed at night and we lie there thinking, we know. We know. Paul knows too. Paul understands the presence of of evil and sin in the world, in his world too, in his own life, in in the culture in which he lives, in his own heart. And he watches the, the Colossians, the Colossian church. As he writes to them, he, he sees the evidence of this in their church as well. As, as they, they fall into the trap that so many people in the church fall into. That trap of legalism. It just struck me that this week that virtually every letter you read of Paul's, he's addressing legalism in some form. And I think it's because it's our default mechanism. If, you know, we're continually saying, let's just make a rule about that. Right? One more, let's make one more rule. And so we have all these rules, and we have rules about the rules, too. And, and we just continue to compound rule after rule after rule. And I think part of that is because we don't want to really think. Because if you have a rule, you just follow the rule and you don't have to think. You don't have to process things. You don't really even have to feel about people. You just follow the rules. And the rules guide us. But the rules also enslave us. You've probably been in in some office or talked to someone who's had some power. And and you're trying to get them to do something. It might not even be for you. It might be for someone else who you're a spokesperson for them. You're trying to help them. And, and you're speaking to them and you're trying to get them to do something that seems, quite frankly, like common sense. And their response is, well, I'm sorry, but that the rule's against that. And it's so frustrating because you look at it and you think, all you have to do is say, yes, I know there's a rule, but this is better. Sorry, it's the rules. And, and we fall into that trap of legalism. And the church and the, the Colossian Christians are falling into that trap of legalism. They're talking about circumcision. And they're talking about you have to follow the rules in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul says that's bondage. That's slavery. But there is also the other extreme that people go to. And that is, okay, if, there are, if we get rid of the rules, then I can do anything I want. Anytime I want to, anyone I want, however I want. Because I am free and, and I can do anything. And Paul tells us in various places, we might not see it, but that's bondage too. Because the answer to evil and the answer to to sin, both what we experience and what we do, the answer to that is not legalism and it's not this kind of liberality that says, I can do whatever I want, this self-centered perspective. The answer to evil is the cross. So Paul writes, beginning in verse 13, 
you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. Or he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And the point that Paul is making is not just that he forgives our sins and wipes the slate clean, which he does. But he's saying it's even more than that. It is forgiveness of sin, but it's also freedom from the bondage of sin and the bondage of evil that is so prevalent in our world and with which we struggle so much. We have been set free. When we talk about freedom, we have a tendency to, to, again, think about, I can do whatever I want, any way I want, however I want. I'm free. It's all about me. But Paul tells us that the Genuine freedom is not self-centeredness. Genuine freedom is Christ-centeredness. It's being Christ-focused. If we're, if all we are doing is thinking about ourselves, then we're not really free. Because we spend our lives proving to people that we're as good as we think we are. We spend our lives trying to accumulate and gather in order to get what we want. We spend our lives trying to impress people. And, and that is exhausting to live like that. We spend our lives controlling things, trying to control life, trying to control people, trying to control the world. And, and we can't do it, so, we, but, so we're always spinning our wheels, but we're continually trying to do it. And we keep failing. And it's, it's not freedom, it's bondage. And Paul says genuine freedom is not, it's not self-focused, it's Christ-focused. Because when we are genuinely free, we are free to give and to serve, to love. We're free to be patient with people. We're free to be kind and merciful. We are free from the need to have to, to get vengeance and equal the score. We can actually forgive. We are free to to let people have their own journey with Christ, even if it doesn't look like our journey with Christ. And believe that God is at work in their life, even if it's different than the way he's at work in our life. We have freedom to let God do what he wants to do with people and not try to control it. We are free to take risks. The risk of transparency. The risk of trust, the risk of love. We're free to be vulnerable. We're free to give what we have. We're free to to move from a mindset that says, how much can I accumulate to how much can I give? How generous can I be? There is a freedom in that. This is the freedom that, that says, uh, my, my life is defined by Christ. And what Christ has done, not by what I can accumulate, how much I can impress people, how much I can get. And that's rooted in the cross. 
I think being able to do that and being willing to let God set us free like that is rooted in our view of God. As I've said to you before, I think everything in one way or another comes back to our view of God. There are theories of of the atonement, of, of what God does for us in Christ, that there are a variety of theories. And one of those that has been popular through the centuries to some degree is that, in, in essence, God was, was so angry with human beings and our sin that it was all he could do to hold back his wrath. And so Jesus stepped in between us and God, and he appeased God, and so now God is willing to forgive us. I have trouble with that perspective. It almost feels like Jesus sort of snuck out of heaven and came to earth, and the Father didn't realize it, and then he stepped in the middle of it and said, okay, I'm going to solve this. It's almost as if it's saying that Jesus convinced the Father to love us. But the reality is, Jesus doesn't step between us and God. He steps between us and evil. Jesus doesn't go to the cross to appease God. He goes to the cross as the fullest expression of who God is. Jesus says in John's Gospel, probably the most famous verse in the the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is an act of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all of them working together. This is God's plan from the foundation of the world. This is who God is. And the, and the, the reason that's so important is because if we believe that, that Jesus has to, has to appease God for him to forgive us and love us, then we will spend our lives trying to appease God. We'll spend our lives trying to prove to God that we're worthy. That we've done enough good things. That we are worthwhile. That we are important. That we have value. And the problem with that is that you you never get to the end of that. Because you never feel like you've ever arrived. And and God becomes the unpleasable taskmaster who is always upping the ante, always wanting more, and never being satisfied. Or, we take the other perspective where we just simply say, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of God. I'd rather just go my own way than to be about that. But if Jesus is the fullest expression of God, as Paul writes in verse 9 where he says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells. He is the image of God in flesh. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he is expressing in the fullest way the heart of God. Jesus isn't drag kicking and screaming to the cross. He goes willingly to the cross. He goes out of his love. And that means we don't have to prove worth or value to God. We are valuable and worth. We have worth because God created us. We don't have to convince God to love us. He just does. And Christ comes and redeems us. He forgives us for our sins. He, we were dead and we're made alive. And he gives us the ability to live 
in triumph and victory. Because he has defeated evil. He's won. Now when Jesus says, it is finished, you wonder what exactly did he finish? Because he's still hanging on a cross. And he dies. And even after he is raised from the dead three days later and and then 50 days later is ascends into heaven, the world really looks pretty much the same as it did 30-some years before when he entered this earth. What exactly did he accomplish? What did he finish? It doesn't look all that much different. What Paul is telling us is it's different. We might not be able to see it, but it's different. And the day is coming when we will see it fully and clearly. That when Christ goes to the cross, he conquers evil. He wins. If Jesus wins at the cross, then that means the solution to evil is not power. The solution to evil is not wisdom. The solution to evil is not any of the resources of this earth. The solution to evil is love. That's what wins. Jesus steps into the teeth of evil, takes everything evil has to do to him, and he wins. And it's not because he, he exerted the power that was rightfully his. It's not because he was wiser, though he is. It's because he used the only weapon that evil does not have. And that's love. It is love that sets us free. It is love that conquers evil. And it's the call to us. When you get to verse 16, Paul has talked about how God has forgiven us in Christ and he has conquered uh, evil and he has won the battle. And then he says, therefore, so... In essence, he says, live like you believe it. And I think that's really the call on our lives. That if we believe that what Paul says is true, if we believe that what the Scripture tells us, that love has conquered evil, that Jesus has indeed won, the battle is solved. It may not look like it all the time, and we may not, we're not experiencing the fullness of it, but if we believe that that's true, then the call on our lives is to live like we believe it. And to trust God that he has indeed set us free. And in that freedom, we can let go of control. We can let go of our need to impress. We can let go of our need to, to, to grasp and gather. We, we can let go of that and we can, we can live in the freedom of Christ who has won. It's hard. It's hard to give up control when we spend our lives trying to control things. It's hard to live lives of giving ourselves away when everything in us says you protect yourself. It's hard to 
to actually choose to be vulnerable. When we know that that means there's a good chance we're going to get hurt. People are going to take advantage of us. And it may not look like it's going all that well. But it's freedom. I think that's why saints through the ages can come to the end of their lives, many of them at a stake with fire burning around them or other kinds of persecution, and have the kind of countenance that people don't understand. Kind of freedom. This is the call of the gospel. If we believe that Jesus has done what Scripture tells us He's done, then we're called to live like we believe it. Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy. Thank You for what You've done for us in Christ. We pray that you will give us the courage and the openness, trust to live in that freedom. We pray, Father, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake today. That as we eat and drink, we will remember what you've done for us in Christ. And we will once again affirm our desire to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ. May it be food for our souls that even as we go from this place, we go living, desiring your freedom. We pray this through Christ. Amen.